In a faster and more connected world, we feel increasingly time constrained. A 10 minute introduction to is a short snapshot into geography, economics and politics. If you would like to connect with me, see more content or find out when the next podcast is coming out, please follow us on Instagram. Hello and welcome to a 10 minute introduction to. In this episode we'll be discussing whether there is a link between international development and education. International development is one of the most important issues in geography, economics and politics. International development, or global development, is a broad concept denoting the idea that societies and countries have differing levels of development on the international scale. As we look to the future, in order to help states grow, we need to see what is the most important factor to improve international development. But first we have to ask ourselves, why does London look like it does? Why does Lagos look like it does? In the summer, I visited northern Tanzania to a town called Mbulu. Compare that to the English countryside. Why do these two places differ? The simple answer is, no one knows. There's not some magic key we can use to see why one country is growing faster than another. When I first started my research, I looked for the UN. In 2000, they produced the Millennium Development Goals. These were replaced in 2015 with the Sustainable Development Goals, due to be replaced again in 2030. These goals set out basic targets, such as re- reducing global poverty, to help us try and improve everyone in the world's standard of living. For this episode, I'm going to look at two case studies, Singapore and Rwanda, to show how development has occurred in the past century. In each case, I'll look at three major factors which influence international development, and then summarise by seeing the role education plays. First, let's look at Singapore. Singapore is one of three city-states in the world. It produces very little food and has very little low-cost housing. It is also one of the most unequal societies in the world. Just 0.5% of its GDP comes from food production, and 90% of food is imported from overseas. Just 290 acres of land is used for vegetable production. This just shows how reliant Singapore is on imports. It's a country of 5.6 million people, with a GDP per capita of over $57,000. With 83 years life expectancy, it's one of the most developed countries in the world. Rwanda, however, is on a completely different level. Its GDP per capita is under 750 US dollars. Its life expectancy is 67 years, yet this is the fourth best in Africa, and we must bear in mind that just 28 years ago during the genocide, the Rwandan population was reduced by 800,000 people, and the Tutsi tribe lost 75% of their population. Rwanda's total current population is 12.2 million. If the 1800s were Europe century, the 1900s America century, then the 2000s are definitely Asia century. Singapore is leading this charge. It is the eighth safest, third richest, third longest living, third least corrupt country in the world. In the 1960s, its economy was worth just 700 million 
dollars. Today, it's worth more than 324 billion. Further, it's doubled in the last 10 years. Singapore has gone from a third world country to a first world country in less than a generation. And this is the dream for every country in the world. Of the world's 20 most valued companies, 15 have operations in Singapore. I believe there are three major reasons for this growth. The first reason is geographic centrality. From an eight-hour flight, you can access all the major hubs of the Middle East, India and Oceania. This makes it a prime location for a CEO to set up the Asia hub. Further, Singapore Airlines is ranked as the best in the world and can reach five continents an hour. This is essential for training business. You can see the impact an airline has in other city-states. Abu Dhabi with Emirates Airline or Doha with Qatar Airlines are prime examples of the benefits an airline can bring. 5% of Hong Kong's GDP is made up from its airport. And while this isn't Singapore, it shows the effect of a strong airline can have on a country. The second reason is political stability. The country is paternalistic and there are restrictions on freedom. The most prominent example of this is a ban on chewing gum. There is also a lack of free speech and press. On the Democracy Index, it ranks 6.4 out of 10, or 66 in the world, which is classed as a flawed democracy. But one can argue, look at the results. Liberty for prosperity. The World Bank ranks countries for their political stability, absence of violence and terrorism. In this, Singapore ranks in the top 1%. This is another reason why a CEO would want to set up the Asian Oceania hub in Singapore rather than in other cities. The French Yellow Vest protest throughout 2018, which lasted for 40 weeks, cost $5.5 billion in lost trade. Further, the 2019-2020 protests in Hong Kong caused a 10% loss in trade in July, £76 million loss in airport cancellations. This may cause some of the 1,530 TNCs to move operations. The final factor which can improve development is the ease of doing business. This can be measured on the World Bank Ease of Doing Business Index, which looks at 10 factors such as getting electricity, getting credit, trading across borders and enforcing contracts. Here, Singapore ranks second in the world, where New Zealand is first. Singapore is an important business hub. It has 4,200 firms with regional headquarters. This compares to just 470 in Shanghai and 1,500 in Hong Kong. Additionally, 37,400 companies have set up in Hong Kong. This shows that Hong Kong is a business hub for the world. This brings money into the economy, jobs and therefore prosperity. We can look at the same three factors for Rwanda. 1. Geographic centrality. Rwanda is just 600 miles from the centre of Africa. Due to the gravity theory of trade, this makes it easier to trade with its continental partners, improving business prospects, increasing employment and leading to prosperity. Additionally, its airline is small but expanding. It's gone from having a few regional planes to new intercontinental ones. It now has flights to Brussels, Dubai, London and Paris, and is opening up new one-stop routes to Guangzhou, China, via Mumbai, New York via Accra. This means it's playing catch up with Ethiopian and South Africa Airways, vying to be the main airline for Africa. Further, it's connecting Rwandan businesses to the world. The second factor is political stability. 
of the Democracy Index Rwanda ranks 3.4 out of 10, being classed as authoritarian. This ranks it 128th in the world. President Kagame was elected in 2003, 2010 and 2017. In 2017, he received 98.8% of the vote. However, the US said that this election had some irregularities. Kagame was only allowed to campaign in the 2017 election after a constitutional amendment lifting the number of terms allowed. Kagame has been called the most successful military general alive, and he is currently leading an impressive system in Rwanda. There are limitations on freedom of speech, assembly and press. Further, there have been accusations of supporting and arranging the assassination of political rivals. Rwanda is now a police state. There are random checkpoints in the country, strict security on most Kigali buildings, a ban on plastic bags and reports of imprisonment of undesirables. On the World Bank Political Stability Index, Rwanda ranks in the 48th percentile. However, the sub-Saharan average is in the 31st percentile. This means that Rwanda is much more politically stable than other places, further promoting business and therefore development. Additionally, one can argue that elements of authoritarianism promote stability rather than impeding it. Third factor is ease of doing business. The World Bank Ease of Doing Business Index ranks Rwanda as 29th. This is amazing. By comparison, Switzerland is 38th and Japan 39th. Additionally, its African rivals, Morocco is ranked 60th, Kenya 61st, Tunisia 80th and South Africa 82nd. However, Kagame has had to undertake reforms to achieve this. There has been large soft and hard infrastructure projects, including a 300 million convention centre, five-star Radisson Blue Hotel, roads and five new airports. Rwanda has been hunting for foreign direct investment. In 2005, FDI was 10.5 million. As of 2017, it was 293 million and growing. The effect on Rwanda is quite amazing. It's the 15th fastest growing economy in the world, at 7.59% per year. Environmentally, it's illegal to import, use and sell plastic bags. And on the fourth Sunday of every month, every abled body of Rwandan citizen is obliged to undertake environmental cleaning. This means it's pushing the global sustainability drive. Additionally, it's the 48th least corrupt country in the world. Only Botswana is higher in Africa. The murder rate in Rwanda is 2.5 per 100,000. Put in comparison, India is 3.2 and the US is 5.4. However, there are some issues with Rwanda's growth. Is it ethical, sustainable or even real? The HDI in Rwanda is 0.524. This ranks at 158th out of the 189 countries in the world. It's still one of the poorest countries in the world. Its GDP is $748. Can the country really spend so much on its airline, capital and infrastructure when so many are in poverty? Is Rwanda growing for its middle and upper classes or for the whole population? So should countries replicate Rwanda's system? Could dissent bottle up and explode? It's climbing up the indicators, but is rational change actually happening? This leads to the link between education and international development.
When looking at Singapore and Rwanda, I haven't focused in on education. But what is the link between education and international development? Well, to me, education provides businesses with the skill sets in long term to improve. I'm a heavy believer in the multiplier effect. Due to economies of agglomeration, if more businesses set up in Rwanda like they have in Singapore, due to highly educated citizens, this may just lead to more FDI in the future. This money can be spent on infrastructure and reducing poverty. If this was to take place, this would improve the standard of living for every Rwandan citizen, not just those at the top. Therefore, I believe that education is imperative to international development. Without a strong educated workforce, a country cannot grow efficiently. But Rwanda still has a long way to go before it becomes a knowledge-based economy. As of 2016, 80.8% of its population lived in rural areas, and 70% worked in subsistence farming. This will lead to challenges in the future. Potentially rapid urbanisation may damage current infrastructure. Advanced countries rely on tertiary sector economies, and this is increasingly shifting to the quaternary sector. As globalisation becomes more and more important, English has become a global language. Singapore uses English as its official language, yet English isn't even taught in most Rwandan schools. Perhaps this is the first thing to do if Rwanda would like to become a knowledge-based economy.